0: I started to realize at that point, I've never really needed to see my name out there. I I don't like my name. My name sucks. It has no punch. If you read it, you'll mispronounce it. If you say my name, Gerrell, nobody will know how to spell it. It's just terrible. It was the easiest name to not have on the door. Plus, I just felt like that was really limiting. And I wanted to build something that would grow and have significance and get some traction. That's Dan Gerrell, CEO and managing partner of Puget Law Group. And by bringing people like this in and and making sacrifice and giving up a significant part of what I owned in exchange for the possibility of, of this thing that I now have a significant control over, not complete control, but I'm able to kind of lead it. But the potential for that is exponentially greater than what I had.
1: I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of CRISP, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Dan Gerald to discuss how our darkest times can become our most powerful motivators, the importance of surrounding yourself with a team that's got your back, and why the craziest
0: ideas often have the biggest impact. So some of the messaging, you know, I'm able to kind of inject like some humor, my personality, a little bit of swagger, you know, here and there. And I think it works. And if I find out that some other attorney, you know, kind of looks down the nose at it, I just go, look, I mean, I'm having fun doing this and it's working and we're growing. So I mean, you get those three, you know, what else do you need? That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney podcast.
1: Dan Garrell is the CEO and managing partner of Puget Law Group, one of the fastest growing criminal defense and personal injury law firms in the nation. Over the past couple of years, Dan's been on a transformative journey and he's documented much of it along the way. I began our conversation by asking him about
0: the catalyst behind his transformation, a pivotal moment that changed his life. So two years ago, almost to the day, so November 30th of 2019, it was about nine o'clock at night and my wife and I had uh, just had a baby four months before, baby Jack. Jack was born in, on August 1st, and he was in absolute perfect health. No warning signs, no nothing. So literally on his four-month day, the night of November 30th, he, my wife's mother was living with us at the time. She's basically taking care of him. And uh, she was getting ready to put into bed, and we heard a scream downstairs. And it's a, it's a sort of scream that when you hear it, you don't go... Something going on. You go, shit is going down, and it is going down. Like I've got to be down there, like now. So I run down there, and he. We had just had him like 20 minutes before. You know, I, I even have a picture of him. I took his mom was holding him. He's looking adorable. And I, 20 minutes later, I go down there and she's holding him, and he's he's just he's turning gray. Like I've never seen that. I've never seen a human, a baby, with that. And he's conscious, but he's he's losing it. And I'm looking at my son, and I'm like. He's dying. You know, I don't know what's going on. And my mother-in-law, she's Korean. So we don't, we get along great because we don't talk. Like we don't understand each other. And she's in shock. So there's zero in terms of what has happened. And I get uh, 911 on the phone and they're asking me, is he breathing? Kind of, kind of, no. She's like, get him on the ground. Starts, you're going to have to, you're going to do CPR. So, I mean, I'm not CPR trained, but I'm able to do what she's having me do. And he's just, he's dropping and dropping and then he'll come back. But it's like watching a meter kind of go down and then up but then down and, and each time. And I'm just like, I don't know how many more of these go arounds I've got. And then they they get there and they, they got there pretty quick. Thank God. And they they come in and they, they EMTs and they grab them and they go, we're going to Mary Bridge. Mary Bridge is a children's hospital that's about 20 minutes away from where we were living. Whereas we've got a hospital 10 minutes away. And I thought, well, that must be a good sign, right? I mean, why would they go all the way to Mary Bridge? And I'm following them because my wife got into the ambulance, and I'm following them. And they don't seem to be going that fast, you know. And I'm like, I'm taking all these signs of encouragement. Everything's gonna be okay. And I I get to the hospital several minutes after they do, and I get in there, and there's just this team of of doctors around this bed and in the, the tube sticking up from the top. And I'm I just realize this ain't good. This is the bad news. And they didn't know what happened. They said he had full cardiac arrest. He had flatlined twice on the way to the hospital. And other than that, we have no idea. We don't know what caused it. We go check into the ICU. And a uh, few hours later, the cardiologist comes in and they use the ultrasound. And he says he's got a tumor in his heart. And they're very rare And so from that point, it was several—it's about a week because they had to determine what to do. He's either going to have to have it removed or he'll have to have a heart transplant. And if it was going to be a heart transplant, they could do that at Seattle Children's. They actually have a specialty for that. That would have been horrible because that would have meant he would have been there— until there was a transplant available. And he could have been in the ICU there for months and months and months. So when I found out that they elected to have him scheduled for surgery to have the tumor removed, it was again, kind of a relief, but again, very scary. And the main place, the best place for that to happen is at Boston Children's Hospital because of the doc, there's a doctor there, that's all he does. And the guy's just an absolute magician, you know? So he came home after two weeks in the ICU, we were scheduled to go in February, and then Jack came down with a SRV, one of the uh, flu viruses, so they had to cancel. And unfortunately, that meant the spot that they had to remove the tumor has now been forfeited, and it could be any amount of time before another another opening. They said probably in the summer at the earliest, and nothing happened to cause this reaction. So I'm living with this fear that if there was nothing that led to that, it could just happen at any time. And I just remember uh, every night, once we were at home, every night waking up and just going downstairs and just making sure that he was still breathing. You know, if something like that happened, then it's over. So fortunately, a few weeks later, they did have an opening in March. So we were able to get into March. We went and he had the surgery and it was successful and went back home, and then we had to go back out six months later for the testing to make sure everything had done what it was supposed to do. And we were very blessed to find out that it did. And since then, it has had no effect on his life at all. I don't have to be careful about playing with him or any of that. I mean, I'm indescribably blessed by by the outcome. That seemed
1: like to an extent, almost like a catalyst behind a lot of the changes that would come over the next two years. And this was interesting because also in March, I believe of, of 2020, we introduced the crisp effect challenge, which was this essentially a challenge of personal growth and, and professional transformation. And we do these monthly challenges and then the grand prize would be this Rolls Royce ghost. But you know, I would think that this could be the last thing on your mind at the time with everything going on in your life. I guess, talk to me, like when you saw that, what was going on through your head and then why did you decide to participate?
0: initially, I, I didn't really connect with it because, again, I uh, we were so focused on getting back to Boston. For me, I remember seeing it, I want to say, like in the middle of August. I think I, I, I got some emails, started paying attention to that. What happened throughout that entire time was that because of what I had started to implement in our firm you know, at the leadership level, at my level, and then down through the team, based upon what I was getting through the relationship with Chris, through Chris Becks, through that workshop, through some of the the trainings with our coach that would come out and lead those trainings, it was, even though that was a a new thing for the people on my team, it it was already starting to have an effect when I was gone, essentially for the most part, for a couple of weeks when he was in the hospital, you know, it was good to see that the place didn't completely collapse. And and they allowed me to kind of focus on that as well as when we went back to Boston and then we had to go remote. But I very much tapped into the mentality and the mindset that I was learning from you and from the workshops of, you've got to see this as an opportunity, right? Because everybody around us, all of our Counterparts, they were all curling up. They were all thrown in the towel, shutting down. Not just going remote, but literally not taking cases. And and I just said, I don't, I don't have that option. I gotta make hay. And so we got big time into doubling and tripling our, our marketing efforts, buying up outdoor advertising because nobody else was doing it. And I just look for opportunity everywhere. Be be the one that's out there seizing that opportunity, and you owe it to your team. I was drinking that Kool-Aid like I was in the desert. That allowed us to, I mean, we grew significantly that year. In a year where so many other businesses and especially law firms just folded, we grew. When I remember kind of for the first time seeing the Crisp Effect Challenge, I i thought, wow, that I do kind of feel like that's kind of how this has had a transformative effect on us obviously that's due to crisp and and what I've learned there and how I've been able to to employ it in a number of different areas this sounds really rewarding i want to get in and do this and then right toward the end of august as we were getting ready to go to boston i find out my mom has a, like a week to live and she had battled cancer kind of off and on for several years and for like the last year or two it it had come back and it was sort of this thing where it's like you will live with this for the rest of your life but there wasn't any sort of she could have lived another 10 years you know and she was in otherwise I mean sounds strange to say but she was very active she it was a part of her life you know but she was very functional and then to find out that she's got like a week my brother telling me this and uh and I'm like I'm going to Boston for the follow up we have to go you know and I was just terrified of this idea that we would be there and she would she would pass away so we went to Boston and I'm keeping tabs on everything and uh Again, I'm blessed that we come back from Boston and then the next morning I jump on a flight to Spokane, She's the other end of the state and and I get there and she passed away like an hour later, where she slipped away. So I mean, I, I got to spend an hour with her. She had all of her all of her kids there. So you know, that's kind of a gut punch, you know, right after the good fortune of of finding out that Jack was a hundred percent, you know, so just circle of life, all that stuff. But I remember many, the first challenge, the, you know, uh, introduce yourself, you know, and I remember re- recording it, just holding my phone in the Holiday Inn or wherever we were staying there saying this is not my September mini challenge. And, uh, you know, we just buried my mom this morning, you know, and so it's a little bit of a difficult time, but I'm excited to do this. And from now on, I'm going to be a little bit more upbeat and after that, everything I, I it went in a different trajectory, and, it, and I, I was able to use some humor, hopefully, and and, uh, and be creative and uh, and have fun with it. So, but that's how it started. Man,
1: okay, I gotta tell you, number one, you're a warrior. Number two, as I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, why did you care about any of this stuff? And, and more importantly, what was, how were you able to maintain a, an optimistic perspective? Because you've got all of these things going on personally. You could think like, you know, don't worry about the firm right now. Let's forget all that stuff. You've got everything going on with your son, Jack, with your mom, like all those, is one thing after the next? So like, how did you stay positive?
0: Well, I mean, I'd like to be able to take credit for that or, or, or have that be reflective of, of something great about me. The, I think the truth of it is that was how I dealt with it. I don't know that I would say I was in denial, but I mean, my, my way of dealing with it was, nah, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And, you know, I'm the person that at a fault would like be at the office working because you're, you're kind of trying not to deal with it. I was close with my mom. I think some of my other siblings maybe were a little closer, just because of the age and the proximity, you know, geographically and stuff. They were devastated, and I wasn't. I mean, I was heartbroken, but I mean, they. My, I had a brother who, my sister, they were non-functioning for weeks and i just thought what's wrong with me am i cold hearted i was sad but i wasn't i'm like i'm at work you know i'm back to work you know i'm i've got stuff to do my mom would want me to do this you know that was my thing and and i think that that's true but that's why but you know then each month we're doing a different challenge and i remember the the december challenge uh, was you know why what was great about 2020 at first I was like, well, it's great because like I said, you know, we, we hunkered down, we beat COVID and uh, and we grew and we've got all these people on our team and everyone's pulling together. I really love the video aspect of it. I really got into learning that video editing program. And I mean, definitely a ham and egger compared to you guys, but I enjoyed it. And I started putting this thing together about Jack, you know, cause it was it was about a year after all that stuff had happened. And the more I started doing it, I started realizing, wow, this is the one that I really wish I had done, because even though 2020 is associated a lot with loss and with COVID and so many people, you know, dying and stuff, I mean, 2020 is a year that you know, everything happened that saved him, you know? So I said, well, that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at it that way. And as I was putting that thing together and you asked me, you know, what on average, how much time do you, did you spend on the video? And I said, uh, I think I said 20 hours. I put 50 hours into that one. I would like just lock myself in my office and work on this thing. And it was more of a cathartic, an attempt to be like cathartic, but that's the first time that I allowed myself to deal with any of this stuff emotionally. And it just, it was just like a tsunami. It just crushed me. It was the first time I I really allowed myself to deal with losing my mom, with what happened with Jack. So I will say this, there was about a week there where I was the complete opposite of somebody that was like keeping the law firm running and stuff. Fortunately, it was the holidays, so I wasn't that needed, but I was sooner later, you're going to pay that bill. Like you can't keep things in denial forever. It's going to come and get you at some point. I do think going through that and then finally allowing it and I guess dealing with it through the creative process of doing that was probably for me the best way that it could happen. And I did, and it did kind of help me start to kind of heal on some of that stuff. Well, and, and you were
1: certainly inspiring other people. I don't know whether you know this or not, just in the process, when you would be sharing those videos and the monthly challenges. And as you know, we had this community going, so everyone would post their, their videos in the group and and people would see your videos. And obviously there were some that were very emotional. There were others that were comical. they were like almost like music video style. Right, right. Um, but I guess to give people some context, we haven't done this yet. What were you trying to build in all this? And I mean, just with your firm. So like even looking back in terms of really just starting the firm, when you and I met, you told me you guys were building the Avengers of criminal defense and, and then obviously expanding the personal injury. But just, I guess if you could share, what's kind of the
0: origin story of that, just to give people context around what's going on on the, on the side of the law firm. So I founded the firm in 2013. I had been a prosecutor for just under five years. And that, that is why I became an attorney. I, I wanted to be a prosecutor. That was my whole thing. I went to law school to be a prosecutor. I, I was a graphic designer. That was my first career, but i had always wanted to be, a. I, I don't know why, I, I just, I always wanted to be a prosecutor. I'm sure it was some show that I had seen or some idealistic thing that I had in my head. But I mean, I went back to, I didn't just go to law school to be a prosecutor. I went back to night school to get my BA so I could go to law school so I could be a prosecutor. And I, if anybody had ever said, you know, any chance, uh, you know, 20 years from now, you're gonna have, you know, the fastest growing criminal defense firm in the US. I'd be like, no, and how dare you? You know, cause I, I, I just had this weird white hat kind of thing. That was not the road to success for me. You know, I did that for five years I was pretty unceremoniously um, shown the door by the person that made those decisions. And then I just, I didn't know what I could do. I didn't know if I was going to keep practicing law or what, but I went to go work for a personal injury firm that wanted to develop a criminal defense kind of division. So I kind of did that with them. I, I learned personal injury law. And then after about three years, I just felt it was time for me to do my own thing. And I really only did criminal and DUI defense and the only thing I had going for me was I was a former pro now i 'm a former prosecutor you know so like well if i can 't then won 't let me be a prosecutor i 'll just use that as my just be a as my that 'll be my tagline yeah. you know and and it and it 's an effective one because people would hear that and go wow this somebody who who's been on that other side of they must really know, and I do think that that 's true. I think that there's a benefit to having that as experience, and we have now my big thing is we 've got eight former prosecutors on our team, and I think that makes us the most formidable criminal defense firm. I'll say on the West Coast at this point, you know, just because as time goes on and I see what's going on, I do feel like I can start to say things like that. But at the time, that was the only thing I had because I had no history of being a criminal defense attorney. I didn't have a string of referral source, but I also knew marketing to a certain degree, certainly better than any other attorney that I was dealing with. And so I was able to kind of grow over time and do okay. But over the course of about four or five years, gained some traction. And I realized, I just want to be running the firm. I don't really want to be the person that's having to drive all over the place and going to court and getting yelled at by this judge or, or that uh, you know client's uh, family member who isn't happy about the great deal that I got him. So, I hired somebody who then became one of our partners who had extensive experience, much more experience than me as a criminal defense attorney, but that was like a big move to make because it's not somebody that, you know, it was an, an entry level attorney. I had to pay, you know, significantly to get that person to come on board, but that bet paid off. That gave us a lot more credibility and it, and it gave us a lot more Authority within the legal community. And then we found somebody else who I knew it was my partner, Casey, who was with a very prestigious local law firm. And I pitched him on the idea of joining forces and it was the right time for him because he felt as though maybe things had kind of plateaued where, where he was at and he came on board, but he wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to work for me. And so he proposed the idea of a partnership and I spent about five minutes going... Before I said, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I I started to realize at that point, you know, I've never really needed to see my name out there. I, I don't like my name. My name sucks, it has no punch. If you read it, you'll mispronounce it. If you say my name, Garrel, nobody will know how to spell it. It's just terrible. It was the easiest name to not have on the door. Plus, I just felt like that was really limiting. And I wanted to build something that would grow and have significance and ultimately would get some traction. And and by bringing people like this in and, and making sacrifice and giving up a significant part of what I owned in exchange for the possibility of of this thing that I now have a significant control over, not complete control, but I'm able to kind of lead it. But the potential for that is exponentially greater than what I had. I mean, I was all about that. And so by adding those people, we started to lay the foundation for a force, you know, and, it, and, and that was kind of my thing. You yeah, know, kind of the Avengers, you know, we each have a kind of our own thing. You know, I'm the, the creative guy and all that. This guy's our personal injury. Uh, Jared's our criminal trial attorney. And then I found your your book, your audio book I was looking for legal marketing resources and and everything I found just it either sucked or I already knew it. You know, I wasn't finding anything that really was telling me anything I didn't already know. And I found that and I listened to the audio book and I just remember at the beginning going, wow, this is there's some good stuff here. This isn't the norm of what I hear and but it was purposeful. You know, it was about creating that growth, you know, not just to get leads in and all that, that kind of short-term band-aid kind of approach. It was more about creating authority, telling your story uh, getting your message out so that they know who you are and why you're different and which is the reason why distinguishing yourself from everybody else and I remember initially thinking man this, this is good stuff I, I can do this I'm creative I can I'll find a guy who uh, who I'll find a cinematographer and uh, and uh, by the end of it I'm like no I'm not doing that I'm hiring these guys and now I got to tell my partners why we're gonna you know spend this money to do this and I got to get them to agree with me because we're doing it. And then that led to the Game Changer Summit in 2019, and it just kind of took off from there. And fortunately... Casey and Jared and I have a have a very strong relationship in that we're all so different. We all do different things. None of us really want to do what the other two guys do. You know, they don't want to do what I'm doing. I don't want to, I don't want to do trials at this point. So when I go, guys, we need to do this. We need to jump into Chris Vex. We need to jump into Chris Vex now for personal injury. I mean, they have a lot of faith in me and I I feel very accountable to not let them down. So that drives me. So we've just kind of collectively together have continued following this thing that two years ago we would have never envisioned that we would look like what we look like right now. So then you fast forward two years and you
1: guys have gotten on the Inc. 5,000, two years in a row, fastest yeah. growing private companies in America. I believe one of, if not the fastest growing criminal defense firm in the country. There's a few of those, right? right. Just criminal defense firms nationwide. Right. There's more than one. What, what are you guys doing different? And Especially when you look at the last two years, because um, the growth has been massive. I mean, you guys have taken off. You started to really grow and scale. I mean, it's, and do it also in a time where you, you look at, we're talking about 2020, which is COVID, and then 2021, yeah.
0: which was, you know, basically COVID part two. Well, I mean, I think it's just being the opposite of risk averse and knowing, again, I don't know that I necessarily would have gone in that direction if I had seen a, a, a lot of other people doing that. I'm seeing nobody doing that. You know, I'm driving I'm driving to work every day. And uh, I remember one day I'm driving, like every single billboard was blank. And then every once in a while, I'd see one with like a PSA. And I'm like, I just called this guy and I go, hey, man. You know, I'd like to talk about maybe doing some billboards. And he, okay, well, you know, this is how much it costs, blah, blah, blah. I go, okay. But here's the thing. Nobody's buying them right now. So I, I want to see if we can work something out. And, you know, ultimately, I was able to get a very significant amount of uh, inventory at a fraction because I, I would drive around, I would see an attorney with a billboard, and then three months later, it would be gone, and they wouldn't be somewhere else. So they'd get in how many clients did we get off that billboard this month? None. no, yeah, this is, this is no good. And I know it doesn't work like that, you know? So I'm like, well, I'm getting in there. And I, and I knew that already, but I also knew that because I'm in Chris Max with Alex, you know, Alexander Shannara, you know, I mean, this guy is who he is and this is how he does it. So I'm going to take my, my cue from that. And so I think that's the difference. I was willing and able to see people doing what I want to do, and go, I want to know how they do it, and then I'm going to do that. And knowing that it takes effort, and it takes, you have to be driven by purpose. You, you know, you can't just try to draw it up looking like what somebody else does, or draw up your game plan similar to what somebody else does, unless you're you're actually injecting yourself into that. And so, for me, again, fortunate that I've got partners that almost always whether they agree with what I recommend or not, they're all right, well, we'll take this one on faith. And it almost always, you know, works out in our favor. So taking some chances and being successful at that and not being afraid to take risks. And to me, that is the difference maker because I know I know from talking to a lot of my colleagues, oh man, I, yeah, I could never do that. And it's like, well, that's how we're doing this. So when, when
1: people say that, I want to I go deeper on that. When someone says, well, I could never do that. What do you think they're really saying? Because I, you know, when I hear that, I think that's a very interesting thing to say. Does that mean that they actually could never do that? Like there's something that stands in the way of doing it or they just wouldn't ever do that and it's like a courage thing?
0: Well, the way I perceive it is I can't really believe that that is why you're doing this. It's got to be something else. You're, you're lucky. You know this or that. And so that I'm wouldn't fine. work for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I I I don't know if We're that's really, I don't know if that's really what what has led to that. You know, yeah. I mean, that car that you wrapped was ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Because you guys started
1: did. doing things, you know, in 2020 and then and beyond that that drew a lot of attention and and probably even some criticism, right? Yeah. Well, and it's
0: funny because I mean, to me, being able to both be growing and and being to a certain degree kind of successful, not, you know, never being satisfied with that, but at least being able to say, yeah, you know, I mean, we've done these things and they've worked out and and I can breathe a little bit easier. I've got, I do now have some resources that I can put into more advertising that I didn't have a year ago and a lot of other people don't. I have opportunities to do things that frankly other people may not be able to do right now. And so I'm gonna take advantage of that. And at the same time, I get to do it my way. I mean, especially when I was, before I partnered up, you know, because I, I don't get to just make every decision 100%. Uh, I mean, I do have partners that I have to at least persuade. But at the time, I, I bought this Dodge Charger and I wrapped it, you know, and, and originally it was a wrap for Puget Lager. I mean, It was a pretty cool looking car. That's all I need. And yeah, I'd, I'd hear other attorneys in the community, you know, so and so said that, you know, that's so tacky and it's unethical and it's this and that. And I'm like, good, you know, I mean, don't you want to have fun? Don't you, wouldn't you like to do it your way if you could do it your way and you could, you know, succeed? So, you know, I've just been fortunate. And again, a lot of these things turn out very, I think, favorably, you know, so being able to have freedom and be creative, because I mean, I'll always be a, a designer. I'll always be a creative. I mean, I'll always do that as long as I'm an attorney. And even though that was my first career, I still employ a lot of that into what I do now. And it's enjoyable. And I think it also is has allowed us to succeed in those areas. You know, I'm able to kind of inject like some humor, my personality, a little bit of swagger, you know, here and there. And I think it works. And if I find out that some other attorney, you know, kind of looks down the nose at it, I'm like... I'm having fun doing this and it's working and we're growing. So, I mean, you get those three, you know, what else do you need? And I'm curious, Dan, why are you the way you are? Like, <laughs> as we're talking about all this stuff, I
1: obviously I love it, but it's, you're breaking the mold, right? In the, in the sense that not all firm owners are, are like this and you're willing to take risks and you're willing to also to share and, and, and collaborate. And also, as you mentioned, like your face doesn't need to be at the front of the firm that you can really
0: give the credit to
1: others and all, all these different things. Like, why are you this way?
0: Well, I will be honest with you. My face might be showing up a little bit more now. I mean, you know, winning a Rolls Royce, you know, does kind of it can lead to a a little bit of you know maybe I maybe I like to see me on a bit. I'm just kidding, because I think I finally found the thing that I'm. I think I'm pretty good at. I would never say I'm the best attorney. I've never felt that. I take pride in being a, a good attorney. I think that I am a good attorney, but that was never my the thing. I just and I always wanted to be the best, you know, whether being the best prosecutor, which was what I wanted to do at the time, or be, you know, the best, you know, graphic designer, which, you know, I was good. I wasn't the best, but now somehow I think I might be the best guy who's running a law firm, who's also doing, you know, graphic design and doing the billboards and and coming up with the ideas and implementing what I learned, you know, with Chris. I think I might be one of the best, if not the best, just at that equation. So that's kind of who I am. And and because it seems to be working and it seems to be working better for me than anything that I had done up to that point, I go, well, that's, that's who I am. That's what I was meant to do. And I just run with it. So we bring it back to present day or almost present day. Let's say it's November.
1: There was hundreds of firms that participated in this, in this challenge, submitting videos. And then it got narrowed to a top 10 and the top 10 premiered at the Game Changer Summit in November of this year. So, I'm curious as you're watching all these videos play because after the 10 would play, then the voting would would happen and the voting was everybody who was there at the summit, whether it was those had participated in the challenge, those who had never heard of the challenge, you were just basically, here's the compilation video of everything you've done, you know, since engaging in the challenge and people would vote for, well, which one was the most compelling? So
0: as you're seeing these other ones play, what are you thinking? So they took all of our videos and created kind of a montage and did a great job. But you can't take what I think is, cumulatively, probably well over an hour worth of video, and you're going to condense that out into a three and a half minute video. You can't have everything in there. The people that doing the editing are making decisions, and uh, the end result, it does look great, but everybody's looks great, right? I mean, they're all- You weren't the only one with
1: a compelling story,
0: no. or, even a, or even a son named Jack. No, and here's the other thing. So I went on and I watched it, because what happened over the course of time is there really was a lot of like camaraderie and a lot of support, and what for me started out as like a competition. I mean, I, I wanted to win that role, so I wasn't playing around. I mean, I had a goal of winning it, but- At the same time, as time went on, I realized I was getting a lot out of not only what other people were putting up there, but they're supporting me, me supporting them, seeing people support each other and really engaging with each other. And it it became a lot more uh, meaningful as a result. So when we got to the point where they were doing the voting for like about a month and a half or a couple of months and they had all, you know, I think it was 60 to 70 uh, people at that point, you had these videos. I committed myself, I'm going to watch every single person's video and I'm going to I'm going to give them a vote, you know? And I know I did. I know that I watched it over the course of several weeks. I watched them all. And of course, the voting is done uh, at this point. And now we have our top 10. Of course, we don't get to find out who they are. You'll find out at the conference. So get to the conference. I'm thinking, well, there's probably going to be a list of the top 10 or they're going to tell us. now. they introduced them one at a time throughout the conference. And it was all, finalist number 1 and then here's this video and I'm watching these now and they're on the big screen. It's like being in an IMAX theater and the sound. And I'm like, these are awesome. Wow, I didn't realize how powerful these were. And and you're right, the first one was John Martin, you know, uh, who's, a, who's a buddy of mine. And we bonded over what happened with my son because he lived in Boston and he has a son named Jack. And his son years before had been through something pretty significant and had been at Boston Children. So we had all these common things that we shared with each other. And his is the first one and it was, it was amazing. And I'm like, I don't remember seeing that. Did I miss his video? He's got a son named Jack. I, there's only room for one child named Jack. That's it. He's going to win. I mean, there were so many strong ones, each one, one after the other. I was, I was very impressed with how moving and how compelling they were. And I'm realizing, man, this is, I mean, the, the, any one of these could be the winner. And then after the first day, they'd gone through the first seven, and I wasn't one of them. And I'm like, okay, there's only three left. The number eight was somebody else, and then number nine was mine, and then number ten. I felt like you know, I think mine seemed to be well received. A lot of people come up to me and go, "Wow, that was really great," you know. But I'm like, they're all great, you know. And and I, I wanted to win that rolls, but I'm like, man, this is anybody's this is anybody's game. So I I certainly had no no uh, undue confidence or belief at that point that you know, well, that's I'm winning that rolls. I was very much uh, on on pins and needles from that point on.
1: And so there was what happened at the conference. Obviously, your name was called out. You you win this Rolls Royce. Then, a few weeks later, you're here today. You just signed over the
0: title of the Rolls Royce. You got the keys of the Rolls Royce. Now the car is yours. Has this set in yet? It's kind of starting to. I mean, I think once it's actually at home, sitting in my driveway, or. I've got to go make some room in in one of a uh, side of our garage. I think it'll become that much more, but but yeah, you know, over the last few days being here for the workshop, seeing it out there last night, and then with everything that's happened today, it's definitely you know starting to you know register, and it's a great feeling. It's very you know, like I said, it's very humbling. It's an honor, and yeah, it's just it's an amazing experience.
1: So looking back across all of this so to, to people listening, because I'm just curious, what, what are some of the lessons that you learned through all of this? this, even over the
0: last two years, whether it was being part of the challenge or just everything you've just done, period? I mean, it's kind of hard to say something that doesn't sound cliche, but what I've learned and, and I've shared with my partners over the last couple of years is I, I've really learned to trust my gut on things. If I just have that sense of, you know what? This is the right thing to do. There's a sense, and I 've realized over the last couple of years every time I've done that and i 've followed that, i don't think I've let myself down yet, you know, so with the challenge, it was just you know the amount of time and effort and dedication that I put into it. To potentially win, but how can I answer this in a way that not only responds to that challenge but also the overall thing, which is tell us about the effect that being in this relationship with Chris has had on you and on your firm and on your and on your firm's relationship with the community like i I, I always made sure to you know is this idea that I have? consistent with all that and you know I had a lot of crazy ideas that didn't make it past you know the first or second day of whatever maybe I'd have one of my partners going nah don't do that that's not it but, you know, just knowing, yes, this is the right way to do this, whether it was that or or the moves and the decisions that we made within our firm or with it, you know, as far as uh, our team was concerned or bringing on somebody that's now kind of turning into our COO, you know, all of these things, you know, I just go, if I'm feeling that I'm going to trust myself. If I'm in my head and, in, and I'm not really feeling it so much, I'll continue to kind of debate it and, and leave that open for others. But when on those moments where I'm just feeling this thing and I'm getting that, I'm gonna go in that direction. So just kind of learning to trust myself that when it comes to that level, I'm starting to realize I kinda, of, I might be onto something. So what's next? And I don't know how much you can share
1: on the podcast or maybe you can, what, what do you plan to do with Rolls Royce?
0: Well, I'm kind of working on something and I, I haven't yet come to the conclusion that it is doable and, and, and I don't wanna to be too heartbroken if I find out that it's just logistically or otherwise a no-go, but I want a Rolls Royce, which is awesome. It's also like, huh? Like Rolls Royce. What are you going to do with a Rolls Royce? And I know that the reason why I won is the story that I told, which is Jack. I mean, there's no story without that. And what happened with him and what he went through and how that affected me and how I responded to that and all that. I'm like, there's got to be a connection there. I can't just take a Rolls Royce and go, go drive in it, you know? I'm not going to sell it. I'm not going to, you know, do this or that. I wanna. I was like, I've got to do something that... That makes sense of all of this. And Casey had an idea about, hey, what if we drive you know uh, sick kids to their treatments at hospitals, which, which is a great idea. But I thought, and I remembered this, that when we went to Boston, We flew to Boston. The person working at the hospital, she called herself the navigator. So she would email me and say, okay, well, here's the schedule. So you're gonna gonna come in here, fly in this day, and then be at the hospital at 7.30. We're gonna do this with Jack. We're gonna run these tests. And then you're gonna come back on this, you know, two days later for the surgery. Give me the time. Point me in the right direction. You know, give me some ideas on some of the hotels or whatever. So she's just kind of the liaison. And so I go, okay, We book our flights. I I book a rental car. We get an Airbnb on Boylston, and I can do this stuff because I'm I'm not in my 20s. I mean, I've got a little bit of experience getting around. I've traveled, so I know how to get from point A to B. I I know how to reserve. I know how to rent a car. I can afford to do these things. You know, with all that stuff, you're still dealing with this the stress of what's going on with your with your child, but. I'm in a position where I don't have to worry so much about that other stuff. And when we got to Boston at night and we drove from the airport to where the uh, rental, the Airbnb was, I get out there and I'm looking at this building and it's lights out. Like, there's nothing about this that says, you know, welcome. This is where I'm like, what is this? You know, I couldn't figure out how to get into this building and out of frustration and a little bit of stress and, you know, all that, I go get a hotel somewhere and the next day i figure out what's supposed to happen and we get it all sorted out but i just remember going i wouldn't call that like a a terribly stressful experience that i went through just because of all of the advantages and all the things and i that i'm able to say i i know how to do this or i can afford this but what if what if we were in our 20s you know what if we didn't have money and what if i what if i didn't know how to get around and what if i had two kids i go that's it and so my idea is that I would use this, you know, hopefully it works out. I could use this as a mode of getting people from that airport in Seattle to the children's hospital. And they're really in need of something like that. I, would wa- I wouldn't want that to be available for me. I would want that to be available for somebody who, who, who has that. You know, they get there and there's a ride waiting for them and it's a Rolls Royce and they're going to get a ride in this Rolls Royce, and they're going to take them there, and they're not going to have to worry about how to get on the freeway or what exit to take or you know whether or not they're going to get to their, their thing and, and all of its lights are going to be out, and it's not going to look like there's any way in because that's all been kind of figured out in advance. And uh, so just for that one period of time, they don't have to stress about it. And if it's appropriate, maybe we find out that there's some things in common with what they're going through and what I did, and I get to tell them, Hey, you know, with us, everything is great. You know, he's perfectly healthy now. Because those are the sort of things when I heard that, meant everything to me. Wow. Well, good. I'm glad to know that. You know, in my case, I kind of I wouldn't allow myself to really think about it because that was my coping mechanism. But there are people that are terrified of this. You know, I'm on Facebook groups uh, with other parents that have kids with the exact same thing. I mean, again, throughout the world, there's potentially several thousand at, at a given point. And, you know, every week somebody will send me a message and say, you know, I just found this out. You know, we're going to Boston Children's. We're scared to death. You know, can you tell me how it went for you? And I, and I get to say, it went great. Our son is perfect. Send him a picture of him. And, and they're like, oh my God, that, that makes me feel so much better. You know, so I just, I love that idea. And I thought, you know what? That makes this thing make sense. Now it makes sense. So I'm, I'm hoping that we can put something like that together.
1: I hope so too. I, I hope they let you do it. And that would be, I mean, that would kind of be an amazing, not just an experience for someone. You couldn't tell them they were going to be picked up in a Rolls Royce. Right. They, they'd yeah, I'm like, be surprised yeah, you see, you know,
0: it. Don't worry it. Don't worry about how you're going to get uh, from there. Just, just, we'll, we'll pick you, know, you up. Just be ready. We got a shuttle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There you go. The shuttle will take you somewhere. And then maybe, I mean, maybe you could even show first some of them. Oh, I mean, I my my goal would be, that I would be doing it at least a certain portion of the time. To me, that would be just a blast. I love it. So, so Dan, as we come to
1: a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, you're certainly a game changer. What does being a game changer
0: mean to you? You know, The one question that I knew I was gonna be asked, the one I could prepare for. For me, it's as a leader of a team, always trying to walk that balance between having confidence and being humble and knowing at all times you're accountable. You know, you're accountable for everything that happens, and people are looking to you to kind of lead them, whether they necessarily understand what you're wanting to do or not. And you're the person that has to figure out how to not only make that change, the thing that's going to be difficult for some people at first to kind of accept, you have to be the conduit to lead them there make them believers and make them understand that, that this is what's needed to be done. I wanna give a huge thank you
1: to Dan Garrell for taking the time to speak with us today. You know, what particularly resonated with me was when Dan said that market leaders do things their own way, regardless of the status quo. And if you hear someone say, that's crazy, or you're crazy, take it as a sign to keep going. You've been listening to the Game Changing Attorney podcast with me, Michael Mogul. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review and share this podcast with at least one other ambitious law firm owner. And you know what? Maybe more than one. For more information on our interview with Dan Garrell, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit GameChangingAttorney.com. And join us next time for a very special episode of the Game Changing Attorney podcast, The Tables Have Turned. And for the first time ever, I'm in the guest seat, interviewed by the one and only Jessica Mogul. People say, oh, it grows so quickly. Yeah, you see it now. But... In 2012, no one knew us. 2013, no one knew us. 2014, no one knew us. 2015, 2016. you know what I mean? Like that happened. Yeah. Also, oh, how much money was Michael making? 2012 zero, 2013 zero, 2014 zero, 2015 zero, 2016 zero. You know what I mean? Like, they, yeah. I don't think people see they don't that. Don't see behind the scenes. Okay? That's next time on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast.